are going to start today's roundtable with a conversation with Michael Smelko, co-founder of Next Coast Ventures. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mana. Great to be here. So let's start by getting to know you, introducing you to our audience. Tell us a bit about yourself as well as about Next Coast. Uh, great, love to do so. Um, so first and foremost, I'm in the middle, I'm on day two of a three-day fast, so if I faint in the middle of this, Armana, just please uh, call 911 or something, but uh, no, I'm joking. I'm, not, I'm actually in the middle of fast, but um, so my background quickly is I, uh, I grew up in the middle part of the United States, first person in my family to go to college, started my career in jobs that I uh, endured but hated in uh, public accounting and investment banking. I moved out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s, um, first started to work out there for Morgan Stanley kind of two bubbles ago, I guess, uh, as I like to say. And then I went, my first operating job was to go help a guy named Mark Andreessen and another guy named Ben Horowitz build a company called LoudCloud. So for all the listeners that have uh, read Ben's amazing book, The Hard Thing About the Hard Thing, uh, which is I think the best book out there on entrepreneurship, I, I lived uh, directly chapters one through seven, uh, and then I, I left because I wanted to go be an entrepreneur myself and run a company. I used a vehicle called a search fund and a buying a small business in downtown San Francisco. I ran that business for as CEO for about 12 years, um, took it from about 30 employees uh, when I bought it to almost 3,000 employees when I retired, uh, raised capital privately, and then also took it public uh, in 2011, and I ran it as a public company for about three years. And by the time I retired, as I mentioned, 3,000 employees, uh, offices around the world, uh, a really great tech-enabled services business, but found myself at a point where uh, I was both, I think, underqualified and exhausted, uh, and so decided to retire and move into venture. I co-founded Nexcoast Ventures about four years ago in Austin, Texas with a gentleman named Tom Ball. And our whole approach was to start a firm in the next coast market, so off the coast of the United States, focused on what we, our tagline, which is built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Uh, and I've been running that firm with Tom for the last four years. Tell us a bit about the fund. How big is it? What kind, yeah. what do you like to invest in? Yeah, sure. So, so fund one um, was just under 90 million. We set out to raise, it was interesting, we, and I know you're, you're de definitely in tune with the changing venture landscape, and we set out to raise a $50 million fund. We put a lot of our own money into it, and really we're looking initially to write check sizes, and this is again four years ago, in the two to four, two to five million dollar range, series A, series B. We joked that almost as we were pulling together that strategy the venture landscape was shifting dramatically. Um, so we've, we've stuck to focusing on Series A and Series B investments in next coast markets and, and domestically in the United States. So Austin being our, our headquarters, but we're not, we're not um, entirely focused on Austin. But I would say our check sizes have, have moved more towards, as the market has moved, more towards the five to $10 million range. Mm -hmm. uh, and in terms of sectors, because we're a relatively small fund, we focus on three primary sectors, uh, which we would put as enterprise, B2B SaaS is one, consumer, and, well, um, 
that was not my phone. And then the third one is... Just a second, Maureen, can you mute the other two lines or other line which is generating this noise? Go ahead, Mike. I thought those were like sound effects to add emphasis to when I added it. It almost felt like as I was saying our sectors, I was getting a, uh, a sound effect behind it. Uh, I was really impressed with that, if that was your, uh, your podcasting methodology. But anyways, the third sector is uh, what we would call emerging platforms or typically software-powered business models. Um, and those mm -hmm. tend to be things that, you know, the best example of that would be an Airbnb or Uber where software is driving the business model, but it's not being sold in a traditional way. And so those are the three things we focus on. Uh, and then we combine that with what we call a thematic approach. So we look at major trends that we see in the marketplace, things like digital natives becoming digital consumers or the changing face of resale or retail, sorry. And when those two things come together, combined with an amazing entrepreneur being the most important part, that's where we get uh, really excited. Now, what um, is the current fund size? Is $50 million in the small fund size to do 5 million, 10 million checks out of? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I might have forgot. So we ended up being way oversubscribed for Fund 1. So I apologize. I missed that. Um, we ended up being just under $90 million for Fund 1. So it ended up being almost twice uh, as large as we expected. Okay. All right. And um, to write those checks, what are you looking for? Like if you're doing a B2B SaaS deal, what kind of ARR or MRR metrics are you looking for? Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, as you know, it's more art and science, and I've listened to the podcast, which I, I think you've done a wonderful job. I'm just happy to be, by the way, to be in the top 500, so I made it in the first 500, but uh, a great job, and I think you're really, too, you're really dialing into this changing nature of venture, and I bring it up as a preamble because it makes it hard to say we have a specific revenue threshold or anything like that. Well, we look at it a little bit differently, which is we really want to see some indication of product market fit. And that can be as evidence. It, it tends to be around a million dollars of ARR, but doesn't, it's not necessitated by it. Uh, and we mm -hmm. also want to see some indication of what the unit economics or margin structure would look like. Yeah. So I distinguish that because a lot of times folks that kind of look past that tend to be more in the seed area uh, of investing. That's not us. We really want to see we're not using a typical first institutional capital where really come in and be series A, series B. And that's as evidenced by some degree of, again, product market fit and some understanding of how the business at scale will look from a, from a margin structure. That's how we, we put those characteristics around it more than a, a defined revenue threshold. Yeah, okay. And uh, when it comes to a company like Airbnb or Uber style that you said uh, you are interested in, how do you gauge those? Uh, that's, those are... Um, again, do you gauge with some metrics, some revenue metrics, or do you gauge some other way? How do you determine which ones you, you think are going to go? Yeah, I give that example more along the lines of what I call software-powered business models or emerging platforms. That was the, the reference to it. There, to us, you know, when you're, we're, everything, all the companies we're looking at, they're all breaking into new markets. They've introduced a product. And I think most entrepreneurs, you know, you, you dream up the new product, you introduce it in the marketplace, and then, and then the fun, quote, unquote, really starts to happen. Um, we're looking to try and understand from, for definitely emerging uh, models like that, how's the customer engagement going? What has the customer feedback been? And I think really understanding 
no, no one launches a product and the customers, uh, I was listening to someone else, it's like, you know, there's old adage of build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. That just doesn't exist. The world's busy. Uh, it's a complicated structure you're, you're operating in. And so we look at it more as, as you introduce the product, how are you seeing customer feedback? How are you responding to that customer feedback? How are you adapting and modifying your solution? And how are you yeah. thinking about that at scale? That's, that's more the lens and landscape we take to it. The noise level in the market is so high. Cutting through that noise and getting to a segment of customers is really challenging, really, really difficult. So, okay. I, I think it's amazing. You know, I, I think it's, you know, and what's happened is a side note, you, you're hit upon this, is that when I first started in technology 20 years ago, it was a, it was a very defined market. You know, it was yeah. usually enterprise in nature. And, and, and now every, if you read any of the daily funding events, it's everything from perfume to dog food to you name it is being disruptive. And that's a good thing, but it also, to your point, makes it a really, really crowded. I don't think there's a space out there that doesn't have some innovation uh, or venture funding happening right now. Yeah, and, and all the days when you could pay a few cents uh, to acquire through Google advertising uh, are gone. Customer acquisition, buying online traffic has become very expensive, both on search and on social media. So, yeah. yeah indeed. Um, so, let's talk about some examples of what you have invested in. And, and in particular, what I would like to do is kind of understand your thought process in selecting those. What is it about those companies? When they came to you, what did they have? What, why did they speak to you enough for you to want to engage and write check? Yeah. So we've invested in about 25 different companies right now. All of our portfolios on our website. I differentiate a little bit. For the first fund, we took about 10% of that and put it into what we call innovation. These would be smaller check size, more passive in nature, really to develop our brand, to increase our aperture in terms of entrepreneurs, but the core focus we have is the really Series A and Series B, and we've done about uh, 11 of those to date. I would say that every one of those have a very similar characteristic. Um, they have a big market, kind of motherhood and apple pie. They have a disruptive solution, so we've looked at it in some way said, this is unique, but by far the defining characteristic. If I went through our core portfolio, Every one of them has one thing in common, and that is a, uh, I'm, I'm a, I know it's a family show, but I would say we call it a kick-ass entrepreneur. Can't help myself on the language. It's someone, we use the term, we use a, a very non-technical term called a glass eater. And that means we look at the entrepreneur and we can tell that she has, uh, or he has the focus, the determination, and the, the stick-to-itiveness, if you will, to drive the business forward. Because to your point earlier, you know, big market is one thing. There, there's a lot of people going after ideas in big markets, disruptive solution. We see that. But where we really, really get excited is when you have that entrepreneur that you go, she is just going to run through a wall. We certainly want to make sure they're going to stay within ethical and legal boundaries. So that's never for question. But just that mindset um, that they're going to run to it. And that is a term, um, we use this term glass eater, which is, again, a term of endearment but it really kind of signifies what we're looking for most, and that's when we get most enthusiastic about an investment. So talk about some examples of, uh, 
of what you have really invested in, not the not the small checks to get in the game, more the ones that are conviction investments. Yeah, I'll give you a good example, and this fits kind of all the categories. One of our um, I'll come in on the board of a company called Everlywell in Austin, Texas. Uh, this was uh, an idea that we were looking at. So this was this is this is disrupting the lab testing business. So if you're a consumer, you want to get a lab test. Historically, in the U.S., you drive to a clinic, you submit the test, your doctor gets the results, and hopefully you get some form of information uh, from that. The consume, today's consumer, certainly millennials and beyond, want to have more control over their their health. They want to understand things at a deeper level. And so there's a great entrepreneur named Julia Cheek, and she looked at this market and said, can I disrupt this? Can I go direct to consumer with a lab testing um, opportunity? So can I go directly to consumer and provide them with a much greater experience? We looked at this, we were looking at thematically, we believe that you know, biohacking or personal health hacking was a big trend. Mm-hmm. So that was the market. We came across Julia, and we're a little bit different firm. We actually cold called her, which is very different in the venture community. We just we knew the market. We saw what she was doing. We had missed the seed round. So we did something kind of unusual in the venture community. We called her up and said, gosh, we'd like to meet you. And she was gracious enough to to meet with us. We spent about a year getting to know her and her business. Mm-hmm. And when it came to their Series A, we were the only new uh, investor in, and we just did the same thing with her soon-to-be-announced Series B. But I would say this is a great example of uh, an entrepreneur who took a big market opportunity, disrupted the solution. But if there was ever an example of, a, of, a, of the, what I call this glass eater, Julia defines it. She is focused. She's built an amazing team. And her commitment and passion around the customer experience is omnipresent in everything they do. Uh, and that's one where, to your point, when you see that, uh, the conviction rate gets incredibly high. And what, uh, what is the disruptive solution? What are they doing that's different from the general lab market? So you can go on to everlywell.com. You can choose from about 25 different modalities. So if you're sitting here trying to figure out perhaps you've got a food sensitivity or you're concerned about uh, various levels, like for men it could be testosterone levels, or other aspects of your health that you can narrow slice down and say, I'm kind of interested to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. You can go on to Everly Well. You can pick out a kit. They'll send a kit directly to your home. You can self-administer uh, a sample, usually blood or saliva. Mm-hmm. Send it back to them. They'll process it in very short order. And then literally in a two- to three-day time frame, you'll get a robust and rich data set and information back to you, helping you understand exactly where your health needs may be. Hmm. And then they can help guide you. They don't do, they're not a person, they're not a physician, but they can help you understand in the health journey where you might want to take that. And if you compare that to the, I go to my doctor, he gives me a, t- he gives me a form, I go get a test, I come back, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a radically different consumer-oriented solution. Mm-hmm. And so the company has just done incredibly well and um, has been, is been on, on a tear in terms of growth and customer acquisition. 
Very interesting. I would definitely like to learn more if you would uh, ask uh, her to come uh, to our Entrepreneur Journey series or Thought Leaders in Healthcare IT series. I would love to learn more. And, and one of the thoughts that come to my mind, I've seen a company like this, Iris Wellness, and one of the issues, we actually used them, and then we had the issue of the physicians not wanting to process the information that Iris provided. None of the physicians wanted were equipped to deal with it. So I'm very curious on how she is uh, handling the interface with the physicians. Eventually, this has to plug into the physicians to react. So I'm, I'm very curious on how she's handling all that. So clearly a trend. Would love to learn more. Yep. Okay. And, and a good, 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 happy to do that. And a great example of disruption and to your point. And that's when I talked about, like, when you think about a great entrepreneur, you have to understand that when you introduce this product, to your point, it may be a great product, but how are it's a great system level thinking what you're alluding to, and that's another thing we look for. How is the market environment going to respond to it? And great entrepreneurs think holistically about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, why don't we do another example? I think it's very interesting um, the kinds of things you're investing in. So let's do another example, and then we'll talk a few trend uh, issues. Yeah. Another example of similar characteristics, if you will, would be a company called Alert Media in Austin, Texas. Here's a, a, a multi-time founder, and again, kind of in the origins of it. So Alert Media provides mass communication, so, a software solution for critical communications in a multi-modality environment. So what the heck does that mean? So they can come in in a, in a very light-touch environment and allow companies from medium-sized business all the way up to Fortune 500 to have a communication infrastructure to their employees for everything from emergency situations all the way up to um, other critical communication events. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they, they sell a SaaS solution and they allow a company like a Nextcoast, we could use it, and we're then able to have it, at our fingertips, a communication with all of our employees across all modalities. So everything from the phone to the desktop to Slack, for example. Mm -hmm. it can, it's controlled by administrator, but in the environment we're working, think about major trends, and this gets back to our thematic approach, where you have people working from home, you have distributed employee base, you have, unfortunately, a lot of uh, localized terrorism, for example, is a bad news environment, but you've got all these factors, and if you're left to being a leader in a company, what you're mm -hmm. concerned about is how do I make sure my employees are safe, that they're communicated with, and that I can geofence them. I know where they are, and I know that they're safe. And Alert Media provides a robust solution into this marketplace. Mm -hmm. And okay. another example, again, where the solution's big, the market opportunity is massive and growing, but most importantly, the, the entrepreneur, Brian Kruger, saw this opportunity and has almost tirelessly, from a customer-centric point of view, built an amazing business and one that has grown massively over the last three to four years. Another great Austin-based company, but again, fits all those three parameters that we talked about before. So a slightly different question. Um, you are operating in Austin and you, as you said, it's the next coast. So you don't necessarily operate in the two coasts. What are the what are the differences in the companies that you see? What are the differences in expectations? What are the differences in how they navigate? In in your 
a sphere of influence? Yes, Ramana, it's a great question, and I think, um, and having, li uh, having lived in the Valley for a long time, I still go back and forth once a month, it's, it's pretty distinct. And what we find from the characteristics is we look at, uh, and we, in we invest in, we've got portfolio companies in Salt Lake City, in Minneapolis, in Austin, and we're expanding that um, as part of our, our firm strategy. But we see great entrepreneurs, we see big business ideas, so those are consistent with the coast. But what we see is typically more, more capital efficient businesses, so they tend to start out with a more of a bootstrapping mentality. Yeah. We see more realistic outcomes, and we see more time, candidly, for the entrepreneur and the venture capitalist to develop a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so what we love about investing in these markets is, um, unlike my, I've got a ton of dear friends in the Valley, and there it's hyper-competitive, it's billion-dollar or bust, and it tends to be in a pitch, term sheet, make decision very quickly. And the challenge with that last part is, when you take capital from someone like us, you're entering into a, a five to 10 year relationship slash marriage. Yeah, and so I like the opportunity. Yeah, and so I, what I love about working in Next Coast Markets is we get more time with the entrepreneur to make sure, A, we understand the business. Yeah, B, and, and, you know, and, and we have a shared outcome. So we spend a lot of time with the entrepreneur to try to understand, where do you want to take this business? If you own 80% of a business and you sell it for $30 million, that's a heck of an outcome for the entrepreneur. Yeah. It, it may not work for our model. So we spend a lot of time on that. And then third, are we the best partner? We like to roll up our sleeves. We join the board. We have a company-building mindset. And so we, get a, we spend a lot more time with the entrepreneur to make sure that we're, we're the best fit because it's a, it's a very important decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the geographies that you've mentioned, we have quite a bit of experience in some of them. Utah is really booming, actually, and, and Utah has taken that bootstrapping ethos to the ultimate levels of success. I mean, the, the company after company they have produced that have done great bootstrapping, then raised good solid capital and have gone public or gotten acquired in a very, very solid way. In terms of the, in the next coast markets? Well, yeah, you mentioned you have, you're doing Salt Lake City, Utah, and, and Minnesota, and so yeah. forth. I think Utah, of those, of those markets, Utah really stands out. Yeah, Utah, I think, I think the two, we, we tend to think, we think this is a major trend. We think in, in the U.S., the build out of, and I think Steve Case has done a great job helping us with branding when it was this whole discussion of the rise of the rest. But we think that this trend is, is a long-term trend. I think, and, and again, I just came back from Silicon Valley. There's no place like in the world, you know, East Coast, West Coast, there's no place like it in the world. But at the end of the day, cost of living, ability to attract talent, uh, the ability to have a more balanced life cycle, lifestyle, you can do this and you can still break, build great companies in markets like Austin or Salt Lake City. So I think this is a long-term trend. I do think that Salt Lake and Austin are farthest along on it, but we think this movement to next coast markets is just getting started uh, and, and gets us super, super excited. Yeah, and we're doing a lot of stuff in that. We see constantly companies, investors, ecosystem developers who are working in, in 
bringing up new geographies. You know, the other guy who did a lot uh, on that to kind of bring success, bring a success that was very visible was uh, in Montana, Greg Gianforte. He did right now, yeah. which uh, went public and then got acquired by Oracle. So that was, that was a big, gave Bozeman, Montana a big boost. So yeah, we are, I mean, philosophically, we are very much in that. We do that globally. We are even working on all these, uh, you know, unknown markets or people, markets that people don't even consider. So I think it's, a, it's going to take a while. I think it's going to take a while, but we're here for hopefully another 20, 30 years, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. All right. Um, what else would you like to uh, communicate to our audience? I think your philosophy is very much in alignment. The capital efficient uh, entrepreneurship is very much in alignment with uh, 1 million by 1 million, as you know. So whatever else that you want to communicate before we uh, switch to the entrepreneur pitches, please go ahead. Well, the, I think the biggest thing I'd like to communicate is a, a thank you to all the entrepreneurs out there. You know, I did it myself. Um, in, and uh, I think for better or for worse, unless you've done, unless you've done the job, unless you've, you've quit, you've taken all the risk. I joke, you know, you, unless you've told someone, your significant other, hey, I'm going to go do this crazy idea, and you really sit out there and try it, you don't fully understand just how hard this job is. Uh, and I, I want to say thank you to all the entrepreneurs out there because it is amazing. It is absolutely important and critical work that they're doing. And I, I can only speak from personal experience. I found it to be the hardest job in the world, but the greatest job in the world. And I think, um, I hope as an, as an investor, I can bring some of that empathy, but what, what I do is easy comparatively. Uh, you know, I, I joke with my friends now, they say, are you busy? And I say, I'm busy, but I'll never be as busy as stressed as I was um, as an entrepreneur. So any venture capitalist who comes on, I'm number 400 and whatever I am, any venture capitalist who tells them their job is hard and I'm, I'm so stressed out, I say nonsense. It's the entrepreneurs that are making the difference. We have the amazing blessing and, and opportunity and filled with gratitude to get to work with them, to give them capital and try to give them advice. But, you know, I just – I find it, I guess I'm, I'm getting a little my soapbox, but I find it laughable when venture guys get out and say, oh, yeah, we're, you know, I made this happen. No, it's the entrepreneurs that do it. And we are just incredibly grateful to work with amazing entrepreneurs and to all those out there. I would just say um, thank you for the hard work and uh, keep after it because it, uh, it does make a massive difference in the world. Wonderful message. Actually, it's uh, something that people should pay a little bit of attention to because uh, VCs expect that entrepreneurs are going to be catering to them. They're going to be bowing to them, and that's just wrong. VCs are service providers. Entrepreneurs are the ones who are really out there, you know, fighting and, and making the sacrifices. Any company that gets anywhere has, you know, 18, 24, 36 months or sometimes longer of intense sacrifice, you know, no salary, very frugal, meager lifestyles, all this sacrifice which VCs never even have to think about making. So your point I, is very well taken. I'm, I'm, like, I'm very glad you made that point. Yeah, I do. I, I write about, I have a blog under my name at mikesmerklow.com where I talk about what I call the TOS, which is the other stuff that entrepreneurs go through. For anyone out there, it's got, it really hits on the, on the more, a mental side of it. It is. It is a very, very hard job, and uh, I won't say any more about. I won't. I won't. I won't reiterate your point. But and thank you for what you're doing because 
I think the what you're doing to help entrepreneurship is also wonderful. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, thank you for what you're doing and all the entrepreneurs out there. Just uh, keep after it. Thank you, Mike. We'll uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.